Hey everyone, Yas here and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at the Coaches Net. Once again, that's at the Coaches Net. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A license football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. All right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name is Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest today is Dr. Connor Hogan. Afternoon, uh, Connor, Rafa. How are you, man? I'm okay. You can call me Hogan. I've often been called Hulk Hogan, so... <laughs> Uh, just just really quickly on that Connor um you know I'm here with you today um the guests may or may not know you so maybe just give us a little bit of a background around who you are what you do and we'll go from there yeah well I think what's most applicable to this particular podcast and audience is the book I wrote which was uh, the number one best-selling book on Amazon for sports coaching and it's called the gym upstairs the newer science of future champions and so that came out just before Christmas 2022 and um, within it it just really shows what I do with regard to mental performance obviously neuroscience and it, it cuts across psychology and that then leaks into of course the physical ability of high performance of young athletes and athletes and professional athletes more so as well so I've worked with a lot uh, with regard to uh, from rugby um, professional rugby, rugby union that is, um, also uh, those in the American football field um, here in, and with my funny accent here in Ireland, uh, we in this side of the world, both in Britain and Ireland, we refer to it as American football and nothing else because we have our own football this side of the this side of the pond, and uh, also I've worked with. Uh, uh, you know, various, and I've interviewed, by the way, in that book as well, various uh, professional athletes and coaches right across the whole span of sport, really. Uh, I mean, I know I leave out some sports, some professional sport, if I start mentioning them, but certainly with regard to team sports, we have uh, those involved in the Premier League, uh, Premier League champions, uh, interviewees in that book. Uh, you've also ones from the European uh, Champions League champions. I would have called it the European Cup because that's my, genre, my my age group as such. <laughs> Remembering back that far. Then, of course, I said the American football. You've got the NFL uh, champion has been interviewed. Uh, the NBA, of course, the basketball side of things. Uh, the MLB, the Major League Baseball in America. And we're talking about Rugby Union, World Cup champions. And so they're just the team, a few of the team sports that are interviewed. Then there's a nice little thing in the book where it's compared to Irish sports, which are elite but not professional and some of the listeners might recognize Gaelic football and hurling of course the Americans call it hurling as in vomiting but it's nothing like that it's more like field hockey with aggression mixed with the ball going in the air and stuff so um, yeah that's all jumbled up together with regard to a lot of hard research that's 
more put into practice and practicalities and all about kind of the team culture, the team ethic, but also the psychological disposition really of players under pressure. And that's what's the main topic of the book is all about pressure and how you can use just your, your team, your players, your coaches, your whole group as such in a very positive manner to facilitate high performance. And Connor, thank you for that, because there's, there's so much in this. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of taking my mind in so many different directions at the moment. But, you know, I want to start by, you know, going back to one of the first things you talked about, you know, in that it's about the neuroscience of future champions that you've written about. Um, as you will, you know, I'm sure you'll appreciate not everyone is a big fan of all the language that can be thrown around and whatnot. So just you know, for, 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 you know, the average person listening to this, what does that actually mean? So just kind of looking at it from the the big high flutant neuroscience language and simplifying it really it's um so what you've got what we all have obviously is a brain but the brain then if we think of the brain as lake and we think of our nervous system we've heard the term nervous system as tributaries to to and let's simplify it even further that the tributaries are come from a lake they're like little <clears throat> excuse me they're like little um uh offshoots from a lake as such. So if we think of water running from the brain down through the uh, nervous system, basically how we think and how all the different thoughts in our mind, um, and we have several thousand, there's different research saying 7,000 plus, you could go, there's other research saying 70, 80,000, but definitely 77,000 as of the last couple of years, recent research. So think of all those different thoughts and how that can um, influence and leak down like the water, like I said, in a tributary fashion down through the body. And then people can, because of pressure, they can begin to feel under pressure, uh, perceive pressure in a different manner, and so feel stressed. So when they're trying to perform, like for example, in football, taking a penalty kick, our greatest players, we could favor them, we could choose them as being the fifth penalty taker in the, the last, well, obviously after extra time in the World Cup final or whatever else, and suddenly that's it. They kick it off the post or they hit it wide or whatever else. And it's that moment where, or those couple of moments leading up to the kick, where again, the brain, the thoughts and different thoughts, all those different thousands of thoughts can impede on the more positive and fruitful thoughts that they've prepared for a long time, perhaps with um, doing different penalty shootouts and training and so on. And maybe something in the crowd or whatever else that flickers a thought or triggers something within them. And suddenly in a split second, and as we know, the movement is very, very short in, in any sport, but certainly in football and kicking a ball as well, just from 12 yards. So that's where the, the maestros of the game can just falter. And so that pressure point is really what's looked at there and how the brain, and the body communicate with each other in that regard. So just using that as an example, then, you know, yeah. if we're looking at coaches and the way they support support their players and their athletes, regardless of what age and stage they're at. You know, a phrase that I like to use, you know, when, when I challenge coaches to think about it is when we're observing, are we observing through our eyes or through their experience? Right. And, you know, you, you said there that, you know, the pressure moments can feel different for everyone. Some people may feel more or less pressure, depending on what the context of the situation is, whether that be external factors, internal factors, whatever that might be. But fundamentally, we all have a different ability to attune ourselves to it and deal with the potential elements of it. As a coach now, I'm thinking, well, how do I get to that point where I can recreate those moments? Because the reality is we can't recreate those moments unless we're in those moments. 
Well, that's it. Uh, I mean, we, in the more recent decades, we've seen a lot of top class professional outfits going to obviously the weather, going over to Portugal or whatever in a mid-season break. We, we see top coaches now wanting these more prolonged mid-season breaks. And they probably will come in in around or after Christmas when the entertainment value and January comes in. So they're trying to mimic what's going on there. And then they try and do, and again, keeping that with that example of the penalty taking, they might try to do something like that. But if we're talking about like top class professionals, what can you do? You, you, what do you do? You find somebody if they miss a penalty. I mean, they know it's not the end of the world or the World Cup if they miss it, even on a train camp in Portugal in January or something like that. So really what we're trying to do is uh, and, and also, look, not every coach is going to have those finances available. In fact, most coaches won't. So what we're trying to do is really elicit a feeling. Okay, and If we think back to our senses and the five senses of touching, of course, and hearing and smelling and seeing and so on. So if we can kind of just drown a person and our players within that kind of feeling of, hey, we are coming to the World Cup final, we are coming to the first round of the cup or whatever it is, whatever is the big fixture that's coming up that we want to mimic the pressure situation. And then like, that's the best way to look at it really, because our brain then can, it, it's an incredible uh, piece of uh, technology, really our brain. And so far as like, if, if we were blind, for example, blind from a very early age, the brain can actually become really attuned at like listening very hypersensitively or smelling even in a better fashion than the average person. So the brain can, that means the senses, if you think of the senses really as almost like the different colors of the rainbow. So we're trying to, to get that whole um, area to be, as you said, under pressure. So all of the things that you can do, like even if it's a thing where you not just do the penalty shootout, but the smells of what the stadium would be like at 7 p.m., if the European Cup final is going to be in Milan or something like that, or what would be the, the foods that would be coming from the terraces? Or, you know, if it's in England, it could be chips and fish and chips. It could be something else in a different country, croissants or something in France. So all of these different things, like really going to the fine detail is really, really important. Cutting the grass um, to a certain level, uh, the feel of the texture of the ball, obviously the, the specific ball that we're using, even if it's a Champions League ball and it's just out, the week before the Champions League because I want to promote it, Nike or Adidas or whatever, try and get that ball first, try and be ahead. So you're all the time trying to, even the jerseys, the the, the feel of them, the acrylic, the whatever you uh, mm. use with regard to your washing liquid or whatever it is, you know, that you use or the temperature on the wash, every little detail counts. And it's fine margins, isn't it? At, at mm. the really top edge. Of course, even if you can bring in players and speakers who've been there, done that, and people that can actually just, that's what we're always looking for. We're always looking for that little extra bit, that little extra percentage. And of course, then if we if we look at, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are, they're, a coach wants to improve players, but they too are probably, they want to improve themselves so they can improve this team, make this team win, and perhaps have ambitions themselves, I'm sure they do, to go to a better team, better league, and so on. And so it's all about looking at the finer details. And that in itself takes pressure off players. Because if I am the manager, you know, and we have this thing now with regard to management creeping into the game rather than coaching or vice versa, like what, what does a manager do? You know, are they the ones that goes to the meeting with the, the actual 
the chairpersons and the, the accountants and so on? Or should it be actually kind of, uh, and, and not communicating that stuff to the, the coaches who are more so day to day? I heard Stephen Gerrard, for example, recently, uh, it's a, I think it's about two year old podcaster. And he was talking, he was asked with regard to like, what's his style? Is he out on the pitch every day doing the coaching? And he could be, but he said, no, I had somebody, he had somebody there when he was with Rangers where he basically had them out on the pitch because he knows, look, they'll get sick of my voice with regard to, you know, uh, if I want to pep them up on match day or whatever else. But also this person can facilitate this session quicker, faster. They're doing it 20 years and so on. So we're trying to make it, just rolling back to what you were saying, we're trying to make it hypersensitive in that particular moment. So every little detail counts. Mm. And yes, I mean, have do the penalty shootout every day after training. But then again, you know, if, if I'm used to, like, you know, if there's nothing, there's no punishment or reward or something like that, well, what's the point of that? So we need to continue with looking at the small, finer details. And there's always an extra detail because even the guy who misses the last penalty, it could be somebody which we've seen many, many times now with uh, lasers and crowds, things like that. All of these things, think of outside the box, what could happen mm. time that's feeding into all these five senses. Yeah, no, 100%. It makes, it makes complete sense. And I think, you know, really what I'm taking from that is uh, how closely can you align the environment that you practice into the, you know, to the real thing. So it's interesting. I was having a conversation just yesterday with, with a friend of mine on, you know, he suggested, well, why, why, why don't we um, get players to put their match kits on in training? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you that, know, just that'd, that'd be a basic for me. It really would. Yeah. It's a basic because even, um, Often, and when you say kits as well, like often the jersey can be one color, obviously shorts another, and then maybe a mixture in the socks. But if a guy's on the ground, for example, if it's not a penalty, if it's a free kick or something, we see this thing with a free kick where a lot of uh, tacticians now have the guy uh, lying behind the wall, right? So even things like where the socks, the color of the socks could be the opposition color as well. So down to the fine details, the laces mm. on the boot, knowing that the guy I'm picked up to mark or signal to mark that if he wears yellow laces and white boots or whatever else well then we get my team and training to wear those uh type of um type of boots and so on and laces so down to the fine detail i think yeah i think i think you make you know you make a great point and i think it is down to the final detail i guess the question is is how much detail do you go into now and i'll come back to what you said something you said earlier about you know it being high performance and you know there's going to be a lot of people thinking well what does high performance actually mean is it an elite thing? Is it something that can be applied across all um, all levels, any age and stage, if you like? Or is it something that is uh, bespoke to those who have maybe, you know, want for a better way of describing it, uh, higher aspirations and career career ambitions to become a professional athlete? What, what are your thoughts on that? I think if you create a culture, and again, it doesn't matter if it's a Premier League team or uh, World Cup team or um, Champions League team or if it's a conference team or Sunday afternoon team, it doesn't really matter. If you create a culture that prepares in the best way, does all the right things, like obviously tactics, well, that's perhaps up to the, the players that you have at your disposal, their individual skills or what they're good at, or obviously the preference of the manager or the coaches. Mm. But, you know, that could be, you know, you, you could argue with long ball stuff versus ticky-tacky stuff, which is better, which is worse. But if you can kind of facilitate a culture where, there is constant improvement and there's constant 
teamwork and this constant support with each other and to be better human beings. And some people often argue, they go, well, why do you need to be a better human being? Like, what's the point of that? Well, the point of it is really is that if I'm at home and I wake up and I'm, I'm a good player, I'm going to play this week or this Saturday, and suddenly I get bad news and I come into the training, but I'm also the type of person that doesn't like to talk about the touchy-feely stuff. Well, if the guy is sitting beside me in the dressing room and he notices, you know, he's not usually like this. He's not always this quiet. Well, then if he has been interested prior to that in actually trying to get to know somebody, that's a high-performance skill. So he can just like eke it out of him in some way. And perhaps, again, if you have 11 players, 22 players maybe, uh, with regard to the squad and the management of the coaches, if they're all hypersensitive to each other's needs in that regard, think of how you can bring them all together. And again, it doesn't really, you don't need money for this. You need to just be more aware of things. And like, it's all about high performance is about going and doing the extra thing. That means today we think we're doing great. We're in the Champions League final. But if there's an extra little piece, we do it. And it's being open-minded to learning. There's nothing set in stone. There's nothing at all set in stone. So it's me individually as a player to have that high performance mindset and you and us collectively as teammates, as coaching staff and so on. Now, we can all still be very different as individuals, mm. different styles of play, different positions and so on. But it's all about trying to be at the, the greatest and uh, in the greatest arena, um, visualizing, for example, if you're in the lower leagues, to be in the higher leagues. And again, setting up and training where if it's a thing where in the higher league, the, the pitches are five yards longer. Well, then you, you facilitate that. You know, you do you, you move earth to get that extra few grand to be able to extend the pitch, be it in the off season or whatever else to prepare. You do everything that's needed. Mm. And then if I come in as a new player, if I want to go to a club and, and this is how we attract better players in the transfer market, because there are players out there who don't just want the money. Yeah, they want money, but they also when the same amount of money is is being offered there has to be some sort of emotional choice sure. and at the end of the day we are emotional human beings so if i can see that the manager i don't really like him but he's trying his best and he's pushing on and he's he's helping he's he's building a lovely teamwork or whatever i might in my personal life i could be the star player coming in my personal life i might be missing out on that my relationship mm. would be going asunder and so i'm attracted to this rapport of people here that's that's happening and as we know in football, it's not an individualized sport unless you're messy or something like that. Yeah, no, I think it's a great point. You know, I'm just thinking now within that, then you talk there about having a high performance mindset. And, you know, it's a conversation I've been having with a lot of coaches recently around the idea that even at a younger age, players need to take more accountability. In fact, the parents need to take more accountability in the fact that actually a lot of players especially at younger age even at older ages to be fair i think it's it's more it's more likely at younger ages that they come with a mindset of i'm coming to be trained mm. to the session as opposed to you know what i oh, i said well they, they don't need to come with that mind the mindset should be i'm coming to train and not to be trained and then you can possibly extract more out of what it is because fundamentally you, you know as well as i do you know you go into different sessions and not if you're like, not every session is going to be a, be your cup of tea. That's fine. You're not going to be the focus every session. And sometimes you actually might just be a bit part in the grand scheme of that session. But this is what the coach has set out. This is what he or she's planned. 
where you know how do I how do I take the most out of that? Whereas a lot of a lot of players, and I think again, this is where I think a lot of accountability responsibility lie with the parents as well in terms of supporting the education of these young people. In no, you're not the main, you know, you're not the main character in this session, and that's fine. But what can you take away from it, right? So you know, let's talk. What what are your thoughts and your observations, and even your experiences I, around I, that aspect of things? Yeah, I totally agree with you there. And there is, I know, in the English leagues higher up, where the young guy is taken and scouted at a very young age and he spends two or three years and obviously he's waiting for a professional contract when he reaches the adult years but he might have some fantastic performances in the early years but for whatever reason he might develop or he might get injured but then he's just gone he's out of the club they release him now specifically you know it's not the club's responsibility for that but there there is a system in place but it's not strong enough it, it doesn't have all corners covered with regard to young people because as we know people after 18 they can really develop into great players again they could have lots of things going on or not going on in life but i take your point and i totally agree with you that in the last 10-15 years there's a different generation of young people coming along and for whatever reason that they, they and the research is backing this up as well there's a lack of resilience there there's a lack of uh, so we're talking about yes on one hand we want to have mental performance. I mentioned yeah. visualizations and so on, where we can actually go to the very, very top. But there's also like, it's like building a house. We don't have, seem to have that foundation with a lot of the young people now, or the young athletes coming through. And I know, for example, in Gov, a lot of the young professionals are coming through. There's a lot of mental health difficulties. Now, that's not to say that you don't actually, you can't perform at the highest level uh, if you have a mental health challenge or anything like that. You can. But if we want a sustainable future in the game, over 10 15 years well then it's better to have the the mental performance and the mental health on the same plateau where there's a resilience basis there so like we can delve into whatever with regard to why these individuals are this way and whatever but rather i'd look at the whole coaching structure and it's like two sides of the one coin i think in the last 10 15 years back in the day of say tony adams or paul merson going out and having a couple of drinks playing Again, the next day getting man of the match and all of that, or going out after an hour's training and going to the bookies and things like that. Those days are gone. These guys now are going into the facilities, the training facilities at 8, 9 a.m. They're there till 2, 2 30. They're doing all these different sports science aspects. And, and they're very much, uh, and obviously social media, they, you know, they can't walk into a shopping center and they're seen and uh, they're monitored and so on. So the, the system obviously is going to look at trying to save money the football hierarchy, they're going to try and go younger because you can get a, a young person, two reasons, cheaper, but also you can get them and you can develop them into your own style, into your own ethos within the club quicker and so forth. Therefore, when they get to 17, 18, they're, they're more, again, going back to Messi, they're cradled, they're within that club, they feel a loyalty and emotion towards that club and they can kind of perform hopefully and, and uh, bring on and become leaders themselves and bring on other young people around them. But I think where there's almost, which is fantastic in one way, the two sides of the coin, where you have so much coaching and it's almost like split up into different ways. You've got nutrition, mental performance, um, physiotherapy, and so on and so forth, backs and forwards coaching. And there's so many different areas and it goes so young that it's almost like the six and eight-year-olds are coming in now and they're like, oh, well, everything's laid on for me. You know, if I get an injury, that's there. If I uh, tweak a hamstring even before the injury, I can just do this. I can get a, um, a scan or whatever else or 
uh, if I need somebody to help me with my diet, I don't even have to learn anything. I can Google it. But also this person here, the nutritionist can help me and so on. Mm. So everything is laid on. But then what that does then from, and we go back to the likes of pressure, and this is the real big money thing, the big top, top players in the top, top sports, is that you want somebody who can lead, but also can have that bit of innovation throughout a game when all tactics fail. And the, it's, a, it's the worst weather. Uh, the floodlights may have uh, gone. We saw it in the recent Scottish International where you had downpours and something brand new is happening with this two hour of a delay. So all of these things kick in and suddenly somebody can stand up and grab a team by the scruff of the neck and bring them on. Where does that come from? That certainly generally comes from somebody who has resilience, who has mental performance down to a T, who has mental health down to a T and, and is mm. you know, good and healthy and all that. And it tends to be those type of players that will do that, grab the, the uh, team with the scruff of the neck time and time again when the chips are down. So that mentality is something I think that clubs are systematically making, uh, and, and I'm going like way out here in an, in an exaggerated point, but by saying, by having all the hyper coaching and the structures in place, which is fantastic, you're also making players very robotic, fitting mm. into a system. So what we want is individuals, like almost like street footballers, that can come in, do something different, and the defense is bamboozled because they haven't trained all week for this particular type player. So the individuality of a person is really, really important. How you fit them into the system and how you cherish how different they are. And I think yeah. that's, you know, we look at something like racism, for example, and oftentimes we never we think it's a social thing, but it's also how you embed it. It's really important for a young player. Even if they're born, say, for example, in England and they're black, they could have experienced it just walking in the first time, walking into the ground on the day they signed very happily for this new team. And suddenly they got some sort of race, racial slur or something. So we have to be really, really careful of every individual difference after skin color, eye color, height, you know, everything. Mm -hmm. That's the skill of coaching. I, th I, I get you, but I think, that, you know, there's going to be coaches listening to this and thinking, you know, something you referred to, are not all going to have the resources, not all going to have the finances yeah. to kind of address these needs appropriately. So it's almost like, how does that, how does that conversation look? You know, because there'll be a lot of, you know, I'm just speaking off my own experiences in the past and thinking there's, there'll be times where parents might have said, well, it's the coach's responsibility for this, this and this. Yeah, but the coach only gets this much of this much time in comparison to what they've got as a capacity right you as parents you as guardians you as a support network for the player themselves outside of this environment have a much bigger influence on that yeah. or the potential to have a much bigger influence because of just you know the amount of time that's spent with them you know what what, what would you say to those coaches saying you know trying to build those relationships and how and how would you go about maybe building those relationships with the parents to understand how much of an influence they can have because really what you're talking about is it's a societal issue right it's a, yeah. it's a it's a it's a problem with the, with the culture that we're living in right now and, you know recognizing that we're dealing with a different type of human being now not just in their own individuality but just as a generic no it's a, we're in a different time you know you referred to earlier the days of the Paul Merson and whatnot going out drinking and that some of that stuff may still happen but actually there's a lot more guidance and support around maybe the, the detrimental impact that that could have yeah I think uh first off and and this is across the board in american sports aforementioned american professional sports as well and of course in football often the parent would have brought their guy down to 
training the first time when they're six or eight years of age got them interested in it what their whatever their the team they support as their jersey and suddenly popped on the back of the individual the young person and so therefore they're almost indoctrinated to want to play football to want to support this team to dream of playing with that team when they're older or whatever else but it's very difficult then for 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 parents to just stop and hand over their prize athlete to the coaches and even if it is in an amateur game if again coaches can go that side and put in a structure within their club within their team even even if it's just their age group of here's our ethos of what we do when parents come in here even if the parent is the most uh, um, friendly or um, non-sporting parent and they're just happy, happy to give their talented son or whatever or daughter to you to, to put in a structure in that way that's fair and it's uh, down to a team meticulous details again that's really important obviously parents have to get on board with that too but I also think if the the, the coach or coach one of the coaches even if it's a junior coach or whatever can facilitate parents in a group to begin with is really really important because like you said there and like we discussed for whatever reason the social differences now from 10 15 20 years ago and a lot of the coaches would have played maybe 10 15 20 years ago and the 20 years ago is more likened and similar to 50 years ago or 100 years ago what we're having now is different you know they have got earphones in they've got screens they're they might be just tweeting one sporting tweet but that then is linked to a million other tweets and it opens out a world wide web that me or you don't even know what they're looking at and again going back to the thousands of thoughts per day they're coming in we think they're thinking about you know just putting on their kit and sitting down and listening to the team talk but in reality they're thinking about a hell of a lot of different things that we can't even begin to remember and the other thing is i'd say as well with all that in mind is subconsciously this is what's guiding them it's their thoughts subconsciously so if they're spending 20 hours a day on the phone or listening to podcasts or whatever else that are not going to facilitate higher performance like we mentioned well therefore that is no matter what you say in the dressing room beforehand or even five days a week on the training ground it's just going to go over their heads whatever they're attuned to in those thousands of thoughts the majority of those are going to generally be the ones that they'll play by that they'll go by so going back to the parenting and so on when our brain is younger it's more like a sponge as we know when we're in school and stuff so the parents that are there longer that relationship and how we treat the parents how we we show them our ethos and how we say hey look we leave it over to the coaches now we're very competent and we we empower the parents by saying hey look your your girl or guy will need you in the evening time they'll need you to have that cup of coffee with them they'll need you to be able to chit chat about it even if they're most they're the most knowledgeable coach or parent co coach at the same time it doesn't matter because that's the parent who's going to be more aware in some regards than the coach will ever be to the subconscious that's already been put into the individual all the yeah. years along, you know so and, and of course they're the ones that can look after and monitor the amount of usage of the screens and so on so it's really, really important those relationships of bringing in the parents more so now to show that support system i think more than ever yeah, no, I, I totally get you. So, you know, as a coach listening to this, thinking, you know, well, I don't necessarily have 
uh, a player liaison officer or a, or a potential safeguard and welfare officer, if, they, if it even gets to that extent of, of exploring it, where do I start? You know, I'm not thinking, right, I'm building a relationship, trying to set the, set, the, set the scene so that I can help this player shift their, their mindset and the whole approach to becoming more of a high-performance mindset. And really, because that is part of it. Some people are going to have that innate thing within them where they just want to come and develop and want to learn. And some people might need just, you know, you to maybe pique the curiosity on what's on the other side of the fence if that in, in that if you if you get what I mean with it. Yeah. So you know where, where would it, where would a coach start with that in terms of in terms well, of delving okay, into so that? Let, yeah. So let's let's look at two things, two factors that's been mentioned there and makes perfect sense. One is finances, and two is the resources. Like you said, uh, um, a deputy coach of some description or um, the time, right? If I have to do it myself and I don't have somebody, therefore it's taking more time. So resources, money, time. Okay, these are always huge big things. So what I would say is, like you mentioned, high performance, and we could look, we could go on YouTube, we could look at you know, all these great podcasts and whatever that has millions of followers and so on. And yes, we could look at a sporting fantastic podcast and look at many of the things that leak into sport directly, or it could be a Champions League winner could have a brilliant podcast or whatever. And we could watch that for hours and hours and we could learn it and we could think this is fantastic. And then we could say, we could go on the other side of thing, maybe a top business podcast or whatever. And you could say how that could be put into sporting realms and that as well. Or we could spend our time with doing, which most and a lot of coaches are not doing, is looking at the societal aspect of this thing. Because young people, remember, they do have a plan B and a plan C. They might not know it yet, but if their dad is a welder or their mum does something or whatever, if they don't achieve at football, that's probably the, the next thing they'll kind of do or you know something that the parent did if they're working class or middle class or whatever. Or if they're friends or whatever they're watching online in their age group, their peer age group is actually, you know, like YouTuber or TikTok. I want to be a TikTok person, you know, if I, I don't know what's called TikTok or, you know, a YouTuber. So if that's the, the research, if that's what's being said socially rather than sportingly. So I'd say spend your time on the social kind of um, research side of things more so than the actual sporting research side of things, because you'll hear enough of them. You know, they'll start telling you on the training ground who the new guy on TikTok is that can do a million kibbe uppies and all this kind of stuff, and street ballers and so on and so forth, the new cool in stuff. But if you start looking at the social things, because and if you look at technology, we mentioned social media as well. And we see now we're right on the cusp, right as a recording is really interesting this time as well, because what's going to happen for certain, and we talk about socially, and it will leak into football, it will leak into every aspect of life, is with the new artificial intelligence is going to change the way people think. That's what's going to happen. Now, I'm not talking about doomsday scenarios or anything like that, but within months and not years, we're going to have a change again of, say, the internet. Now, if we look back to 20 years ago, and we were talking about all the changes with young people and resilience and so on and so forth, there's a lot of research out there saying that when or in or around the internet and social media more so came out, that's when a lot of the resilience and mental health issues came about with young people. And even if it's not sporting young people, these young people are in school with other young people, young people talk, word of mouth, it spreads around the world and so on. So we see all these different things and we've seen these can catch on. So if we start getting ahead of the game as well, and just looking at how does this, just trying to think, you know, if you're on the bus journey to and from training as a coach, you don't have the time, start thinking like, well, how will AI indirectly begin 
to like even if I'm a 17 year old, 16 year old, how will I start thinking about that as maybe a career option or it could be a plan B? Oh, it might be plan A. Maybe football is too hard. I don't have resilience. The coach is telling me to run. Gee, you know, so AI is easier. So like you're talking about AI, you press the button and things are done in 30 seconds. Right. Whereas we had to go to the library and do all of these things for hours and hours and weeks and weeks. So that's choosing the easier thing. So it's about looking at that mentality, putting your, yourself in the shoes of the young people as well, I think. So we're on the cusp of these big changes. Try and look at the social aspect of things, more so the sporting and the high performance aspect of things. Then you're going to build a bond with the young people. You can say, hey, did you know this about AI? And they'll like open up to you. And then you might kind of delve deeper about what's the problem today or why they're not as resilient or what's going on at home or whatever else. And then you can start going, well, you know what? I want you to play on the wing today because you have this type of ability, whatever else, and we'll change the tactics because of this or whatever else. And you can begin to see it from their point of view. A lot of the young people as well, we begin to see as well, have, it's like me, it's I, you know, you got to facilitate me in the team rather than I have to be part of your team, you know? And so we, ha again, if we can put them on a pedestal or they appear that they're on the pedestal, even temporarily, where we can begin to start with that rapport building even outside of sport, we can then begin to kind of, once we have the rapport built, begin to say, hey, look, let's look at it from the team point of view. Let's look at it from the results point of view. At the end of the day, mm -hmm. I'm the manager, I'm the top coach or head coach. And so therefore, this is why I'm under pressure here. I understand why you're under pressure with AI or whatever else. So that's, you know, if you can start to build the bonds that way, because there is definitely a report, and I've noticed this with my research over the last few years as well, not just in England in football, but there is, a seismic shift now in in the coaching and like even if they're young coaches of 30 odd years of age and the 20 years the 18 20 years of age uh young people as well that are coming into the sports so we have to start looking at the social aspect of things a lot more i think you just not just on that then you know we, we talk about the social aspect but you know the, the other part of that is when looking at potential and you know future talent and there's going to be people that come with quote unquote baggage. Yeah. You know, and, and it's not as simple as just approaching it in that way where it, yeah, you know, I get the, get what you're saying in terms of having it become an I, an individualized approach. Um, but I would say an individualized approach, approach without them realizing they're put on a pedestal from that approach. How do we, how do we do that though? How, do, how does that actually work? Because the thing is, if that, without realizing it, that you know, you're going to be putting players in positions where, if they're not the ones realizing, someone will be looking at it and thinking, oh, that person might be getting somewhat special treatment or different type of treatment because of that. But in reality, what you're trying to do is you're trying to treat everyone fairly, yeah, not equally, but fairly in providing them the opportunity to flourish in that respect. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean. If I'm honest, I think in a nutshell, what could be done there, the term, and this is, this is one of the issues nowadays, but the term man management, we can call it woman management, we can call it whatever management, but where you're one-to-one -one with somebody. If you can start, like if there's one skill, start doing that. Okay, start doing that, start doing that, start doing that. Mm -hmm. Teach individual. Obviously, you'll see that they're totally differently, you know, they're all different. But yeah. there might be that kind of aspect of lack of resilience and whatever else that we mentioned. But then in the dressing room, when it comes to the actual group, if you can begin also 
to, I won't say be autocratic, but if you can begin to um, show that we are a tough team, like, you know, I've given you my time. I've given you my time. I know you, you know me. Come on, let's row into this uh, communal belief now that we are tougher and so on. So you have to, you can't be all sure in a group, say, oh, you know, it's all kind of uh, fluffy pillows and soft landings in life. It's not. At the end of the day, that team talk going out of the dressing room, going onto the pitch, you, you can have guys that are going to stamp on you with their studs, they're going to spit in your face, all these things. So if you can kind of man manage them in that regard, one to one and spend your time with that as well, with as much as possible, even if you don't, like if you can't crack the nut and figure out why psychologically this person acts in this way, it doesn't really matter. Well, it does matter. But if you can give like from the, the, the head manager point of view, they're looking up to the head person, right? Even all the other sub coaches, that's fantastic. But it's the head person and their opinion of that young person or that player that's coming through. That's really, really who they're trying to impress. That's human nature. So if you can man manage it at a micro level, and then I would say, you know, be be as tough, not, a, not as vulgar or whatever, or as old fashioned, but show that, hey, we are a high performance team here. Uh, you're included in it. Um, those timeouts that we have or that management time, we can kind of work on it. We, I, I, you know, even if you don't improve for today, what we had the one-to-one -one with, that's okay. We'll work it on Tuesday. Let's just get through the game today, all right? And let's just do what you can for the team kind of thing. So at the end of the day, yes, we're trying to go in a, almost in a minus fashion, if you want to call that, mm. to um, man management. And then like bring it all together into this really strong, cohesive unit. And, and like outside pressures like penalty shootouts and unforeseen events and stuff like that, they will happen. But it's all that, those fragments of little conversations um, social support that's there that someday somewhere I'm not favored to be man of the match but suddenly I just come out of my skin on that day mm. that's the extra piece of high performance that comes forward because the the raw human emotions when we talk about artificial intelligence uh, we talk about social media at the end of the day these are not real things we know that of our age group right we know that sitting on the back of a bus going 100 miles having the fun to and from the game those old-fashioned days where you didn't have, you know, all these kind of gadgets and everything in your way. Those are the ones that really bond the, the team spirit. And if you can begin to kind of meet them at their own level, bring them in, show them that you're giving them care attention, even if they just go, wow, he doesn't get it. Mm. They'll still be more loyal to you and therefore they'll yeah. and they'll step up to the step up to the mark then. A hundred percent. And I fully agree with that because I always say, you know, to coaches, look, the, the one thing that, players and even parents they can forgive you not getting it right but what they will never forgive is not seeing you not try yeah right if they feel like you're making a genuine effort to get to that point of success or whatever that looks like then they'll give you the time and they'll give you the you know they'll give you the grace of allowing you to make those mistakes um certainly that's what my experience has taught me Anyway, so I, I guess, you know, if we're looking to kind of, you know, pull away some key key bits here. Now, what, what are some of the key things that you think, right, I'm listening to this, I'm a coach, I'm just getting started on my journey, but I'm really intrigued. I really want to get this this stuff implemented as early as possible. I want to start trying to put this stuff together and really, really have an impact on my players and really add value. Where do I start? Well, key words I would say I've mentioned a couple of times is like 
social support. Yeah. And when I say that, like man management one-on-ones as much as possible, even away from the training ground, even away from the match day and so on. And the other thing is the, the parents thing, try to develop some sort of system that suits your club, your team, your age group, even if you don't have all the time and and money at your resources. Showing them your care, because remember, a lot of the players are thinking, and this is true of every generation, they're thinking subconsciously. So if they come into your dressing room at 15 or 20 years of age, it's very difficult to change every aspect of how they think for the match day or for the big pressure build situation straight away. It's virtually impossible. But even after a season, because they're already influenced by what has gone on in their life at that stage. So if you can bring the parents in and have that area, it's going to really, really help. Mm. Empathy is a huge thing as well. Now, I know a lot of people, again, they'll think this is, oh, here we go, woo-woo, fluffy talk, all this kind of stuff. But there's parts of our nervous system that, again, if we go back to two, three, four, five, six years of age, we're put into a school, if we think subconsciously here for a second, we don't choose the person we're put sitting beside, and yet, yet suddenly they begin, begin to be our best friend. And they could be our best friend for 10 years or even could influence our choice of career or even when we're playing football, even though they're not even playing football or any good at it. But they're the voice in our ear. They're the ones yeah. that we will, we will have, have heard and listened to. So if you can kind of, like, as a child, as a young person, like, you don't see blacks and whites at three and four years of age arguing with each other if they're sitting down beside each other at school. Guess what? Because both of them are nervous about the first day at school. So if we can realiven that, break down the barriers and have empathy within the team, then when it goes to war on the pitch, you're such a cohesive unit. Mm. And when you're a cohesive unit, yeah, okay, if the opposition guy falls down, it's time wasting. I'm not talking about having empathy in that regard, but the empathy has been done in the training in the preparation up until that as well. So social support, empathy, uh, the parenting thing, if you can do that whole thing, and friendship. Like always try to build friendship. And not just friendship because after the game, I play pool with that guy because the two of us are good at pool, or I'm Welsh and he's Welsh, and we're in the English league or something like that. Trying to deepen it as well from other aspects as well. Obviously try to get the, the quieter guy with the louder guy and vice versa. Try and mix it up a lot. Try and build only... Yeah deniable bonds there yeah do you not feel that you know and i fully get what you're saying enough and i and i do agree with it in principle yeah. but do you not feel that like we can sometimes get um go too far down the line trying to force things in that respect trying to force certain relationships i mean because you hear about it you hear all the time where you know even at the top level where yeah people are so dedicated to the team but they don't necessarily get along with each other yeah we've heard it i think it was uh i don't know was it Sheringham and Sutton or somebody like that. Yeah, they Sheringham and Cole, Man United. They didn't, you know, for four years they didn't speak. Yeah, but but they had something, and I think it was Sheringham. I saw some interview or something. They had some sort of chemistry. He knew where I was. I always laid on for him, or vice versa, and we scored. And look at the amount of goals we scored. But we never spoke. But that's okay. I mean, that's okay. It doesn't mean to say at the bottom line is here. Like we take three, four things I said there: social support, empathy, um, friendship, and so on. It does. You don't have to be bosom buddies. But if you, what's the strand that runs all through those things? Respect. Yeah. And if you can build a chemistry there with all the other players, that that's almost like I'm playing right back, you're playing right mid. If we play 40 games a season with each other, yeah, I, I can read your game, you can read my game much easier next season. But if we're coming together and we're st- trying to build a team, 
whatever you need to do to facilitate that closer bond of chemistry, getting to know somebody, right? Maybe you are allergic to something. I don't have to be your best friend, but I know that maybe, uh, you know what, he's had some bad salad today, you know? So therefore he's in a grumpy mood. Why? I won't get angry with you. So if I'm not getting angry, I'm not actually breaking up our friendship more. I'm also not diluting the dressing room with toxins. That mm. does not mean for, you know, when we go out on the pitch. So it's about awareness of what we're doing, what we're about, what we stand up for. It's about being more open-minded as a human being and respectful. And whatever way we can find strands, little things we can tie each other together. Mm. And we know the common focus is football. But I mean, at the end of the day, there's also things because of football, we don't like each other. Why? Because me and you are going for the same position on the team. So constantly, we never talk about it. But, you know, at the end of the day, I want your position. You want my position. So we're kind of yeah. enemies. So how can we then build the strands behind all of that? I think it's a great point. I think it's just, you know, just looking at you know, the biggest piece I'm really hearing is where are the marginal gains, even as even at such a basic level? You know, looking at going back to the topic of the conversation we talked about, you know, how we approach training, you know, the, the equipment that's being used, the, the 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 clothing that's being worn. Are we, you know, are we training with or are we training without shin pads? Are we training with the match, you know, match kits on? Are we not? Are we training with the right socks on? Are we not? All these little, you know, these little marginal gains that could, in fact, have a, a massive impact in terms of yeah, how players. Yeah, and I know, and I know people would say, you know, I, I did say before, like if you're lying at the back of the wall and you're seeing the shoelace and all that you might say well that might happen once in a game or it might happen once every two games fine but there's but once also... enough right yeah well once, once is, goal, that, i mean I, the thing that you know i was having a conversation with a friend of mine recently and i was talking about well it's not how much you do something which clarifies your understanding of it but it's the clarity of understanding clarity of perception you have when you do see it right because yeah. you can see the same thing a thousand times but if you keep looking in the wrong spaces and you're never going to pick up the detail that's needed. But actually, the moment you now pick up that one bit of detail, and that was the bit of detail that changed it, well, that bit of detail gave you the full clarity of understanding, but you've only seen it once, and you only needed to see it once because it made sense straight away. Is and that... to emphasize exactly what you're saying, like the reality is if you, you line up 11 players and you get them, say, for example, to look at the stand and all the different colors and people wearing different stuff and everything, none of them will see the same thing. No, 100%. So therefore, how can you... As saying, hey, look, here's our uh, chart and here's our tactician and here's our, you know, formation three, 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 whatever it is, or three, four, three, or whatever it is. How can you be guaranteed to know that everybody in the team is going to take it in the same manner you describe it or communicate it? It's the same way with like even going back to kit and lying down behind the wall. Like small things like kit and the textures on kit, again, this has been proven that this can make a person feel different. They can feel more anxious before a game or during a game mm. or whatever else. Um, like even a guy getting a bloodied head or something like that, it can make people feel differently. So all the fine details really matter. Yeah, no, 100%. I think you're spot on. You know, I, I, again, I think the, the, bit, the bit that I always come back to, and you know, I think it ties into this perfectly. I use the example of a, of a, of a theatre performance, right? Mm-hmm. You've got the live performance whenever it is. What What's the final piece before the live performance? Well, it's the dress rehearsal, right? And what's the difference between a dress rehearsal and what comes before that? Well, before that, it's just a rehearsal. So the rehearsal is looking at the finding, maybe, you know, looking at all the pieces that come together to make it happen. 
um but in isolation or in, or in some in many respects out of context but the dress rehearsal is the closest thing you're going to get to the real the real performance right because now everyone's got their makeup on they've got their um you know the the, the appropriate attire on they've got um they've got everything to contest with as if it was the live performance except maybe the same crowd but fundamentally everything that can be rec- you know recreated for that moment without it being the real thing is is in place if that makes sense and i think that you know the, the kind of key takeaway for me in what you said there is or for coaches to consider rather is how much are you paying attention to what actually can have an impact and what is actually involved within the environment and how much of you know how much are you paying attention observing that not through your own eyes and your own perception but the experience of those who are interacting with it and i think if you can look at it from that perspective then you start to understand actually it has to be individualized doesn't it because as you've just said we could both look into the crowd the same thing or even look at the painting and look at the same thing but it's like the age-old saying right beauty is in the eye of the beholder you're going to see something very different to what i see and you're going to appreciate things in a different way we go back to the top of the conversation again we talk about pressure you know Things that put you under pressure and things that put me under pressure might be completely different. If I use a very basic example of it, it might be, well, you give Neymar a yard a space with two players around him, he's probably comfortable with that. You give, I don't know, Harry Maguire a yard of space with two two defenders around him, you give him a yard of space with no defenders around him, he's probably still not comfortable. I don't know, but <laughs> point being, their perception is very different, right? It is, it's not just the variables that are involved in interacting with the context, but how those variables are then perceived and then fundamentally impact on the performance and the perception of those involved in it. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's probably the biggest nugget for me, man, just looking at that. But, but, but to your point there as well, and poor Harry Maguire is going to be part of this, but I mean, like you could say he's very resilient, right? Because he keeps coming back. And But then you could also say, gosh, why why is it he never, like we, we obviously the different coaches are going, they're scratching their head at times going, We've gone through this 10 times, Monday to Friday, every day. Yeah. And cognitively, he seems to understand. But but then it comes out on the Saturday and it just happens again. So I, I, I think something this, this, yeah, something missing. And I think, you know, fundamentally, this is the, the age old thing, right? You know, you go through, like you said, Monday to Friday, talking about the same things and you get to match day and it doesn't come off. And this is where you get the coach saying, well, you know, we covered this in training. It's like, mm, did you really? Or did you just talk about it? Did you re- did you get did you do the rehearsal? Or did you do the dress rehearsal? You know how far how far you know did you go down to in terms of recreating the scenario and the situation that they're actually going to be in so that they can not perform it with success but get clarity on the things that can have an impact on their performance, um, even if it means they don't get the success necessarily in the training context, but they understood that actually Connor standing here, I'm standing here. Connor's two yards away. Connor being 1.9 meters away now, as opposed to two meters away. Oh, that's when there's a fundamental difference in how I can perform this tech technique or whatever that may be. But have you actually gone to the extent of looking at that? So I think there's so much, you know, in there in terms of those marginal gains that these are these are the and these are things that don't cost within reason. You know, it doesn't cost me to any any anything other than maybe time and um effort just to say hey connor have you thought about this Mm. and when does that when does this thing here start to impact on you and start to make you feel a different way and other than comfortable because then you now start to look at your range right and then if i go back to the harry Maguire neymar example it's like well neymar knows that okay 
you give me a yard of space. I don't mind if there's two players out either side of me. But, you know, if you take off 10 centimetres out of that space, now I'm thinking differently. And vice versa, Harry Maguire might need that two yards. He might need three yards. He might need two touches with two players running, whatever that looks like. And I think it's just, yeah, this, it's, it's contextual, but it's individualised in terms of perception, right? So, I mean, that's probably the, like I said, the biggest takeaway for me. I'm just conscious if there's any other key messages that you want to leave with the audience. Well, yeah, I, I mean, just to emphasise what you're saying there with regard to if, unfortunately, there was a car accident one day and you happen to be on the road and you're driving by, you go home and you watch the or read the newspaper the next day with regard to the report on that or whatever and what you saw, it's probably going to be different insofar as either how the accident happened mm. or what you noticed when you when you just dashed by in the split second. Why? Because, number one, you're driving. You're conscious of driving, but the subconscious, and you just look to the right or whatever, and you see maybe the fender bender or whatever. So you automatically make up a story in your mind's eye with regard to what happened. And again, yeah. if everybody's looking at the same board and they're saying, right, we, we play a 4-2-2 or whatever else, but we might have the two, the two right and left back kind of encroach as wingers in the second half or something like that. I mean, yeah, that's fairly basic. But at the same time, if people don't get it, well, then the, the harmony is not going to be within the team. So we really need to break it down, break it down, break it down. And going back to something you kind of summarized there in a really good way, I think it's the perceptions of every individual. And every individual, and every individual player will teach you, whether you're 20 years coaching or not, they'll teach you something more because they're different. And so, like, as we said, AI and all these things that will come in and change the world. We've seen a war come. We've seen COVID in the last couple of years. What's next, good or bad? But it will influence these young players mm -hmm. coming through and how they think about things and how they and, and what their preferences and choices of everything is. So at the end of the day, we want every player to buy into what I'm saying as a manager or the coach. And so therefore, they'll be more attentive. Therefore, we can get closer to them. We can not be worried about them when they leave the training facility that they're not going to go out or get drunk or whatever else that they're more self-responsible we're trying to build better leaders at the end of the day and if you have 11 leaders on the pitch no matter what their football ability is you're going to have 11 guys that put their hand up to take penalties you're going to have 11 guys that will actually want to grab everybody with the scruff of the neck and, and pull the team up that's a tough team to play against i don't care how many messies on the team but that's a very tough team to play against if you have 11 leaders, I think. I think you're spot on. And I think, you know, it's just that piece around individualised and empathy, really, because empathy will allow us to appreciate how different people perceive it. But I think the, the biggest piece in what you've just said is, as a coach, not, you know, having that open mind always takes me back to an experience where, you know, I, I was working with a group of players and I had an idea of how I wanted the session to look or what the outcome should look like and what the process is even more so should look like. But then they all came up with very different ways of doing it and they still managed to get the success I was looking for as an outcome. Um, but my first kind of feeling was there was a bit of resistance or a bit of confusion. Well, what's going on here? I mean, they're getting success, but I, you know, I wasn't happy about it necessarily because... But then I later, you know, I later kind of accepted and come to realize actually, I was frustrated by the processes that they were going with because it wasn't what I had envisaged for yeah. it. But actually, then you know, I later came to a point. Well, it doesn't matter what the process looks like as long as they get into the outcome, right? Um, you know, and I think that 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 takes a bit of, you know, that takes some 
time to step back and have an open mind and look at things from a different perspective well try and understand why they are doing it in the way they're doing it is it because actually fundamentally they're just different people <laughs> you know i mean they're not going to see it the same way as they're not going to they're not going to perceive the problem the same way as i do so there's so many differences within that i think that you, you just have to learn to appreciate the individual bit they're just balancing that up with them you know how do we start to bring in some of these marginal games which may in turn shift their mindset of certain players around the, the appreciation and the value for and if you're listening right now and you are an open-minded coach i would say no matter what level you're at even if it's a lower level i'd clap yourself on the back and say if you're open-minded you're going to be more open to change and to learning from the individual young athlete coming coming into your realm and so you're going to learn and you're going to become better 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 of a, of a, of a coach going with the traditional like if we go into a sexuality basis of things you hear a lot of the young people saying fluidity for example so if you start thinking in a kind of more fluid open manner they're going to think he's kind of cool that coach is kind of cool he's kind of more open he's more approachable if they don't have the resilience then in life or you know last week's defeat hurt them or they got a an online kind of tweet against them because they missed a penalty or whatever else they'll be more there'd be a bigger chance that they will come to you and open up to you and or their parent. Mm. The parent then has a better bridge with you already. And so we look at, take for example, Liverpool right now, we're talking about um, uh, a lot of transfers perhaps going on. But we've noticed in the last few years under Klopp, which is very interesting, is that even though they don't seem to have the big books that other teams may have, when it comes to transfers and all of that, we generally don't, we can't second guess who they're going to sign, even though a lot of the podcasts and media will think this player and that player, because there seems to be that trust within the club, even if things are going badly after a few weeks, that they can mm. actually, you know, there's that kind of leadership. Themselves, yeah. yeah, so if we can start, to, and again, you can do that a lower league team as well. These are skills that we can foster. If you're an open-minded coach, if you're not, get more open-minded and realize that the young people nowadays, they're being educated not just academically but socially and even through football and so on by bite-sized videos that are 5 10 20 seconds long even youtube 10 years ago was like 10 minutes and we got the point then after that we had to watch the last minute or whatever but now it's like so people content thought process are coming quicker faster and so on and we have to realize that in how we communicate so that we can look yeah. kind of after them individually and as a collective of a group too hundred percent connor just um real quick one if you've got anywhere that you know people can potentially get in touch with you yeah. find out a little bit more about your work and you know just yeah. a little bit more about where they can find your book maybe yeah so it's all in three words the gym upstairs so the gym upstairs.com or obviously on amazon you get the book um the gym upstairs amazing connor thank you very much for your time i really appreciate it cool glad to be here thank you well, there you have it guys, another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.